Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities, and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine. From Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. We're not sure, again, you know, what data sets are being used for predictive modeling. To be fair, what I've heard from my medical doctor friends is that there has been more caution and hesitancy amongst the medical community in Southeast Asia to use AI in healthcare because they're not sure about regulation and they're not sure whether the algorithms are sophisticated enough to do these types of um, predictive modeling. Salam everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another interesting episode of She Talks Peace. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy joining you from Manila. And here's my co-host. Good morning, everyone. Assalamualaikum. It's good to be back here at She Talks Peace. Hi, Amina. How are you doing? As usual, I'm here joining the program from uh, Kada, Malaysia at Al-Bukhari International University. So how's your week, Amina? Well, so far, so good. Finally, you know, after the pandemic, the embassies have started hosting events again, you know, the 75th anniversary of the Norway-Philippines bilaterals. There was that event celebrating the coronation of King Charles III. So people seem to be not scared anymore of the Social life is picking up, yes? Yes. Social life is coming back. But you know, yes, I still get a little worried. Sometimes when I see all these people coming together, I, it's still not so used to that, Ayesa. But uh, anyway, how are you doing? How's uh, Bukhari? How are your students from all over the world? Well, we are kind of getting busier because we only have the, the last four weeks before the final exams. So Ooh. we're really trying to cram a lot of the lectures and a lot of their homework to be completed towards the end of this semester but all is good you know i'm getting the hang of it 
I'm getting you know more comfortable communicating with my students, and all of them are actually from Africa or the Arab states, so none from Southeast Asia. So that is something new to me, you know, talking to Arab and African students and talking about them. communicating. Ayesa, do your students use TikTok? I don't know. Seriously, <laughs> but they should. That's the trend among young people, yeah. right? Yeah. Is TikTok but... popular in Malaysia? Yes, it is. It is. It is, huh? because it's it's very popular in the Philippines, right? You know, I wasn't so aware about TikTok's popularity until I started monitoring the news coming from the United States about TikTok spying. <laughs> that China yeah. is using TikTok to spy on the citizens of the United States. There was that hearing a couple of months ago. So I was following the congressional, the U.S. congressional hearings, yes, uh, where they were grilling the CEO of TikTok, uh, claiming that China was using TikTok to spy on the citizens. And if you can spy on the citizens, that means if they enter a government installation, they can also track what's going on in that government installation. Whoever owns it, like Facebook, Twitter, they should have that kind of access, you know, monitoring and surveillance. So it's not just it things. It's not, Ayesa. It seems not. I think the case for Facebook and the others is that they profile their uh, users, the app users. And once they get the profile, like they know if your tendency to the left or tendency to the right based on the websites or the news that you download. But it seems TikTok actually can allow because of, I don't know, some weaknesses in the implementation of the app. It can allow an outside agency to easily hack into the system and be able to track you. So oh. it's not just getting your data, okay. but tracking you. That's very risky then. And that's what yeah. TikTok does. And the TikTok CEO was saying, no, 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 that's not true. We don't provide any kind of data. The, it's secure. But many American legislators don't believe the explanation of the TikTok CEO. That's the sad thing, right? Because you've got people like Malala Yousafzai, who's on TikTok and uses TikTok yes. to spread awareness of girls' education. You've got climate change activists using TikTok to promote their advocacy. Yeah, from time to time, I actually see some interesting TikTok videos that actually teach you, you know, simple things, you know, like what happens if you left your key inside a car. <laughs> Sometimes these short videos are very useful yeah. and informative as well. Yeah. And you've got like what, over 2 billion users of TikTok? So, a lot of companies are using it to market their products. So it's really quite interesting that TikTok, supposedly a platform that brings people together, is now suspected of becoming an avenue for spying on peoples and governments. And this is fueling a lot of the conflict between 
the U.S. and China. As if that wasn't enough, you and I, we also know about the potential conflict we have with China, right? With Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, and what we in the Philippines call the West Philippine Seas. And the Spratly Islands. Oh yeah, the Spratlys. So this, this issue, this potential conflict with China is getting really complicated from maritime and sovereignty issues to cybersecurity. <sighs> yes. So I'm really glad that our friend is such an expert, right, Ayesa? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Elton can give us more information and explain to us what's really happening here. When we talk about cybersecurity, I mean, uh, you know, these days it's not only all these media applications, but also this artificial intelligence. You know, with all the popularity of you know one particular AI app is this Chat GPT and others. You know, so I also get confused in my trying to understand AI, especially for many of us who are you know not really so interested so much about technology, but we are forced to be using our smartphones and use this application. So I think the best person that can help us understand better about cybersecurity issues and artificial intelligence and how does it relate to women peace security agenda, you know, the the potentials of uh, perhaps um, uh, uh, the threats to not only threats, but also potentials to ensuring better women peace security agenda, especially in our region. So let us now get to know our special guest for this episode. Her name is Elena Noor. She's Malaysian, but she's based in the United States. In the U.S., she is a senior fellow at the Asia Program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, where she focuses on developments in Southeast Asia, particularly the impact and implications of technology in reshaping power dynamics, governance, nation-building, and previously, she was the Director of Political Security Affairs and Deputy Director of Asia Society Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. She was also Associate Professor at the University in Honolulu, Hawaii, this Daniel K. Inoue Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies. And Elena, here in Malaysia, used to be a part of the International Institute of Strategic and International Studies, Malaysia, or ISIS. That's actually the time when Elena was at ISIS that I get to know her for the first time. And she's also a member of the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace. So Elena definitely will be best to explain to us all these cybersecurity and AI terminologies and the politics behind it, especially involving U.S., China, and our own neighborhood, Southeast Asia. So, ladies and gentlemen, and all our friends here in She Talks Peace, let us all welcome Elena Noor. Thank you so much, Aisa and Amina. I'm so thrilled to be reunited with you on the same platform. Just for our listeners, Ayesa mentioned that Elena, when we first knew her, was with ISIS. 
This is the good ISIS, okay? Okay. This is the think tank in Malaysia. <laughs> the time for clarification <laughs> of all these terms, yeah. This is the good ISIS. <laughs> That's right. Hello to our friends in ISIS, Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> the good ISIS in Malaysia. So that's right. Carolina, you, you heard uh, in the part of our, you know, our conversation with Ayesa about TikTok and China. So what's your take on that, Elena? Is that really a serious issue affecting US-China relationship? And should we in Southeast Asia be concerned? TikTok, yes, it's one of the many tech issues that is affecting US-China relations. But honestly, you know, even American security Specialists have said that the TikTok quote-unquote threat is overblown. And I'm sympathetic to the argument that Aisa raised, which is that the other platforms are really no worse or no better than TikTok. You have all these dance trends that are on TikTok in the same way that Instagram Reels have these trends as well. And a lot of the charges that have been leveled at TikTok, particularly by the U.S. senators, have really been a bit unfair, I feel, because the same charges can be made at the other platforms like Facebook, like Twitter. You know, so for example, some of the questions that were targeted at the CEO of TikTok revolved around data leakage or data compromise. Well, it's been proven that Facebook and Twitter have had the same problems before. And they were also dragged through grilling, if you remember, right, a few months prior to the grilling of the TikTok CEO, who is incidentally Singaporean, by the way. That's right. He's Singaporean. Yes. The fact that TikTok has had to bend over backwards to try to retain some of its market share in the US, which is pretty sizable, and has brought in, suggested, you know, they're bringing in of Oracle, which is a U.S. company, as part of its Project Texas plan to relocate some of its operations to the U.S. Oracle has not had the best reputation in terms of protecting data. In fact, they're actually, as was written by some other experts, a data broker themselves. And so, you know, if we've read anything about these data brokers in the past is that they're all too willing to sell customers and consumers' data to other people, doesn't matter which party, for a small fee. And Oracle is one of the biggest companies in the U.S. They've been there for a long time, right? That's right. But they don't have the best reputation in protecting data. That's right. And Oracle is not like TikTok and Facebook where you have mass base, right? You have billions of users. They're focused more on corporations and Big entities. Clients. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I was just, I was just uh, wondering, Elena, the concern of uh, the U.S. government uh, about uh, TikTok and spying is not so much the fact that uh, somebody can track the data, use the data, but it's the fact that it's China that's going to have access to to the data. And the, the situation between the U.S. and the Philippines and the China isn't, isn't that great as of the moment with China supporting Russia. 
So, so now we're looking at uh, ASEAN and China relationships. We in the Philippines, we're concerned about uh, Spratlys, the West Philippine Seas. So is Vietnam, so is uh, Malaysia. So how is this going to uh, you know, complicate further the situation that we have in uh, ASEAN vis-a-vis -vis our relationship with China? This issue of spying has been going on for so long. And if yeah. China really wanted to embark on a wider espionage campaign, there are other ways of doing it. And, you know, there have been open source reports dating back to 2009 about um, a, an espionage dragnet. And some of these reports have named some Chinese players mm -hmm. as having collected information with special regard to the South China Sea. And some of those targets have involved not just government agencies, but also the ASEAN Secretariat, mm -hmm. as well as private companies, uh, such as a law firm that was involved in the arbitration case between the Philippines and China. So TikTok is small change if there was surveillance going on. And you know, I would argue that with the Snowden revelations, even the U.S. private telcos have been subjected to arm twisting behind the scenes by the U.S. government to spy on friends even of the United States. So we know it happens. Um, TikTok, yeah. I, I don't think it, uh, is a, a player at all in this bigger game of espionage. Everyone's mm. doing it <laughs> is my mantra. It's just a matter of who's calling whom. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Out. Besides TikTok and all this TikTok fever, you know, I think a, a bigger threat to me, you know, more recently is really about this artificial intelligence or AI, and especially that uh, in the university <laughs> circuits, you know, we are academics have been more concerned about students plagiarizing their homework, their thesis. So this chat GPT for the only since this year, starting January, has really become a popular, you know, discussion in in the in all universities. And then also recently, I've been joining this online discussion uh, about the threat of AI in uh, as part of WPS agenda. Uh, the United Nations, based in Macau, has been doing a study actually, you know, trying to understand the impact of AI in Southeast Asia. But I guess they will, you know, they will release that report officially. You know, uh, while AI is something that is already going on, we are all benefiting from it. We're using it heavily. 
But I was telling this uh, panel of researchers on this uh, uh, from university, uh, from UN Macau, you know, I, I still cannot wrap up my head understanding how does AI, you know, come to my life. It's so intangible. So maybe, you know, I suggested we really need to be educated more about this AI. And if you can show us exactly how does it affect us, only then can we know that, okay, this is where it becomes a threat to our uh, security issues in, in the region. So maybe, Ilna, you can also you know, uh, educate us further about AI and what are the discussions in terms of AI in the U.S.? Yeah, Elena, how come the, the titans of uh, technology like uh, Elon Musk and, the, uh, Musk and the others are telling government to control, to have more regulations? They seem to be afraid of the developments uh, as well, right? Yeah, AI is just developing so quickly. There are two takes on these big tech players calling for regulation, right? One take is, well, there's really something for us to worry about if people like Elon Musk are calling for regulation and calling for a pause or a slowdown in um, generative AI development. The other more cynical take is, Something else must be going on here and maybe they feel that regulation, if they are quick to uh, shape that regulation, then they'll stand to benefit from being regulated. There is that, Elena. But we are so bullish about everything technological, including AI. You know, we throw out these acronyms AI and 4IR. We talk about big data in our Southeast Asian countries. And I'm not sure we fully considered some of the challenges and the risks of AI in as they apply in our very heterogeneous societies, right? So we already have these latent ethnic, religious, linguistic divisions in almost all our Southeast Asian countries, mm-hmm. um, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. But we don't think about What do biased data sets mean for the operationalization of AI in systems that affect healthcare Mm. or that affect uh, financial sector or the criminal justice system? So, for example, Aisa, I don't know if you've been tracking, but I feel that in, is it Sarawak alone or both Sarawak and Sabah, um, they've rolled out this AI powered mechanism to help judges make decisions Ooh. in drug and rape offenses. Oh, oh I heard that. That's good news. Well, is it though? Because, you know, these are pretty serious offenses, like rape yeah. cases, you know? Okay. And a lot of the justification for rolling out AI is to reduce friction in decision-making. Okay. So there can be less of a backlog in court cases, which is fair. But when you think about where the data sets come from, how far back do they go, we don't really have transparency Mm -hmm. about, you know, where these cases are coming from and what the algorithms are based on. Even the Malaysian Bar Council has said, whoa, you know, the data sets that are being relied on are only five years old. Mm -hmm. Is that sufficient to help with predicting uh, different types of sentencing options for judges to make decisions on. 
And then, for example, healthcare, right? So in the United States, it's been shown that there hasn't been enough data on women of color when it comes to, for example, predicting the probability of a woman of color getting breast cancer. And a lot of the predictions and modeling um, that algorithms have suggested have been based on data sets of Caucasian women. And so the data has been, hasn't been accurate, which results, of course, in bad outputs. So when you apply that to the case of Southeast Asian women, we're not sure, again, you know, what data sets are being used for predictive modeling. To be fair, what I've heard from my uh, medical doctor friends is that there has been more caution and hesitancy amongst the medical community in Southeast Asia to use AI in healthcare because they're not sure about regulation and they're not sure whether the algorithms are sophisticated enough to do these types of um, predictive modeling. Things for us to think about beyond just growing the economy through digital platforms. I'm glad that you mentioned about transparency, Elena. I think that's also the the main concern of uh, this group that has been doing this study, you know, uh, UN Macau. Number one uh, is really the transparency behind these algorithms, uh, because we really cannot control the development, you know, of AI. You know, whether it's good or bad, it's already there. Technology is, you know, for us to take. You know, who would? Imagine that just 10 years back, we never really had video calls or like this, like StreamYard, you know, 10 years ago, there's no idea that we can actually do these kinds of platforms. But here we are today. And the same with AI. They say that AI, as you mentioned, it's really fast, uh, developing very fast. So that's why there is that uh, fear in this development. Another point besides transparency is that there is an observation that uh, many of the programmers or developers behind AI, it's not only because there are less women or female programmers, but it's really about understanding, you know, the security risks, especially for other genders, maybe not only for women, but also for other genders, especially if sexual and gender-based harassment can also be possibly remedied, you know, online. So that is another concern, you know, for for some people who are doing uh, women security uh, studies, uh, uh, women security agenda uh, issues. So yeah, Amina, how about in the Philippines? Is this something that's also being uh, discussed about AI in the rarefied air of uh, techies? They really do talk about um, the impact of AI. Uh, you know, you were talking about the change in technology. I'm going to reveal my decades, okay? <laughs> but when I, had, when I had just graduated from college and was working in Washington, D.C. in the World Bank, uh, the way to communicate with uh, a home or a country that we were working with was to send um, fax, and that was already fast. Okay, so you you send a fax, they send a fax back. And then after that, you started to now have uh, the computer technology, uh, the entry of uh, emails, but even those were still early days. But now there's no hiding 
from technology. I mean, anytime it's instantaneous and the way that these big tech companies gather the data, it's getting more and more scary. For instance, Irina, this has also been um, investigated in the U.S., uh, Cambridge Analytica, and the way they gathered all of the data of their users to be able to determine how they would um, focus the messaging and sell the data to political entities to persuade, right? citizens to shift to the left or shift to the right. In the, in the case of Cambridge Analytica, it was really shifting to the right. And if you're talking about issues now in the United States, um, pro-life versus pro-choice, and if you had the money and uh, you had access to such data, how easy uh, is it going to be to shift people's uh, positioning from pro-choice to pro-life or or vice versa. Luckily, in the Philippines, we're not that uh, technologically efficient yet. But we're going to get there because the Philippines is one of the, if not the biggest uh, user, I think, of uh, uh, you know this uh, this the, the apps. We're very good at uh, at that. But the other thing that concerns us. Um, in the Philippines, I guess I was asking about civil society, is really the use of TikTok and all of these other uh, apps on, say, cyberbullying or uh, harassing uh, women who take a stand, uh, women who take a stand for choice, for instance, or for LGBTQ purposes. And nobody seems to have any idea about really how to control that. Elena, is that, uh, and I know that that's also an area of concern in the United States. Is there really any way of neutralizing those pernicious effects, uh, Elena? A lot of it, I feel people are looking for online solutions. Uh, They're really offline problems that also require offline solutions, right? And we think of technology as both a problem and a panacea. But often I feel we don't reflect on what goes on offline enough to understand that really the issues start from there. So, for example, I remember a few years ago, maybe in about 2013, 2014 timeframe, I was at a few UN meetings, uh, some sideline meetings, and we were talking about the priorities of Southeast Asian countries with regard to ICT. and. There were a few people from Southeast Asia who brought up issues of um, content. And now we talk about misinformation and disinformation. But it wasn't an issue of serious consideration for Western countries because they considered it a different bucket Mm -hmm. of challenge that was to be separately discussed. And those, you know, content issues really had to do with freedom of expression and censorship. But then 2016, happened and the U.S. presidential election happened and all of a sudden the U.S. was facing these problems of disinformation and misinformation and content suddenly became a topic to be discussed just overnight because of the 2016 presidential election. And so now we hear nonstop about misinformation and disinformation. 
uh, when in reality, this has been going on for so long in our countries, pre-internet, right? We used to talk about like these propaganda flyers layang in Malaysia. Nothing is new, but it's just that technology has facilitated this at a much faster speed. And unfortunately, in places like Myanmar and India, to deadly consequences. I mean, part of the solution is regulation, but really the other part of the solution depends very much on how people speak to each other, how politicians campaign, for example. And I don't know if we realize that these are issues that need to be sorted out in the offline space as well. You know that in Southeast Asia, most of our communities really are offline. And when you're talking about strategies offline, uh, IS and I were doing a lot of work on peace building in our communities, um, issues of women, peace and security. And we cannot really uh, downplay the value of face-to-face discussions. And here you look at uh, the importance of um, really networking and striking alliances with the influentials in our communities, like religious leaders. But the problem with that, of course, is that if you do face-to-face, you're limited to a few. And it looks like there are influentials among the religious who have gone online and they are with ISIS, the other ISIS, the bad ISIS, and they are doing a lot better than governments in promoting their their positions, their advocacy, recruiting uh, online. And that we cannot neutralize that uh, at the at the community level. And the, what really worries us, Elena, is that our governments here in uh, Southeast Asia are very ill-equipped to deal with this migration of theology, uh, supporting a very extremist point of view, and, and many times an anti-women point of view, their migration to, to cyberspace. You know, our, our friends in uh, Singapore uh, with the Nanyang Technological Institute, and even with the National University of Singapore, they're all looking into this issue, right, Ayesa? I mean, the threat of uh, cybersecurity, recruitment, for instance, to violent uh, extremist thoughts, and how do we in Southeast Asia attempt to, to neutralize it, even if we do have an ASEAN agreement to have a plan of action for women, peace, and security, still, <laughs> our governments are not equipped to to handle that. So, yes, and I, we do what we can face-to-face, working with religious leaders, with uh, peace advocates, all the while hoping somewhere along the line, our governments are going to be able to find a way to temper the very negative use of these technologies. But, you know, that's just me. And uh, luckily, I still don't know how to use TikTok, Elena. (laughs) Do you have Instagram, Amina? I mean, 
We we need to get you on TikTok, Amina. I think you should start some dance trends and challenges. Maybe that's one one strategy to counter some of these extremist let's appeal. Let's do a checklist, Amina. I know you're on Facebook. You have a Facebook, right? Yeah, but sometimes okay. I don't really use it. Okay, I'm not Facebook. Do you have, in- do you have Instagram? Profile. Amina, do you have Instagram? <laughs> I have Instagram. Uh, I, my children gave me all those apps. They downloaded all those apps for me. But I worry so much about being spied on and being hacked that sometimes I. I That's I, the same I'm a feeling loser. with me. That's the same feeling with me. I mean, uh, I tried to register for an Instagram, but I don't even know how to go back to it. So I never bothered. I just opened whatever I also tried to look at how this Twitter works. You know, even starting it, I don't want to start it. <laughs> so I just keep to my Facebook and I limit my friends in my Facebook. It's really just immediate family and immediate friends because I'm always scared of people posting on my Facebook. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't know, Elena and Amina, if you also realize that there is also this surge of new thinking you know among younger generation in southeast asia to uh, what do you call this to be off grid you know there is mm. a movement as well and sometimes i try to do that as well you know off grid turn off all the gadgets you know just enjoy the moment wherever you want to go to the villages you know especially when you're going um on a holiday you know inside you know in other places in the country and you want to do field work you know, I would want, you know, to be supportive of that off-grid lifestyle as well. Because to some extent, when you keep on listening to our smartphones, you know, all those sounds, it actually gives us some some sense of anxiety as well. So it's not good for the health and well-being. Amina and Elena, how, how do you deal with pressures from technology? By not being pressured by technology. Okay. So I will I will make a confession. When it comes to technology, my addiction is really Netflix and Disney. But when it comes to Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, I think I can uh, tune out uh, with ease. But I agree with you, Ayesa. I mean, for, and for all of our listeners, it's good to tune out. For instance, Elena. In uh, the University of the Philippines, where Ayesa also uh, uh, studied for for a time, I think, um, they now do uh, bird walks because during the pandemic, because there was no pollution and there was minimal human activity, so many different species of birds started nesting in the University of the Philippines. So now there are like over 70 species of uh, birds. And last uh, Saturday, we went on a bird walk and it was completely amazing. 
two and a half hours, no technology, just listening to bird song. And at the end of the two and a half hours, you feel so relaxed, so into nature, so yourself. I think you're right. We should uh, tune out, turn off, and just unwind. Just, you know, listen to your inner girl. And maybe that's what something that we should be pro- promoting, I guess, uh, when we do our work on uh, peace advocacy. Let's ask Elena, how is her life in the U.S.? <laughs> I love this idea of going off the grid and it's almost cyclical, right? So we used to be that way before cell phones. Right. And then we all became addicted to technology because it was such an easy way of communicating. Right. And now people have almost OD'd on technology because <laughs> it's not just us listening to the sounds of our phone and devices, it's also our devices listening to us. And, you know, yes. there are actually documentaries, speaking of Netflix, Amina, there are documentaries <laughs> on Netflix yes. that show how some of these algorithms work. So, for example, the recommendation algorithm of Netflix will show you what it thinks you should watch next once you're done with a series. But the same recommendation algorithms are also running through our different apps. And this is partly why I'm addicted to Instagram because I keep scrolling and scrolling (laughs) and Meta knows what I like. And so it keeps suggesting all these things to feed my addiction. It's terrible. (laughs) Must be shopping. Must be shopping. No, no. Actually, you know what? I use Instagram as an education tool and Mm. I've been learning a lot about indigenous communities Mm. around the world. Fortunately or unfortunately, how I've been getting my enlightenment on some of the um, situations of Indigenous communities, but also the injustices that keep these communities down. So I guess the lesson, the lesson to be learned is that we do everything that we use. There's good and, uh, and there's bad. The question is, are we ready to neutralize the negative effects, to put the brakes? And I think that. Uh, Elena is where you and the experts who have been following uh, and analyzing cyberspace uh, and its links to national security and uh, foreign policy um, will have to do it for us. As for me, I'm going to continue just doing face-to-face with Ayesa and unload by going on, on bird walks. But before before we end our chat, uh, Elena, perhaps you would have a message you'd like to share with our listeners who are also interested in issues of uh, cyberspace, technology, national security, and um, they were interested in going into that field. What would be your advice for them? I don't know about advice, but... I am a huge fan of the work that you both do on the ground and making a real difference. I've been following your work and I think it makes a real difference, tech or no tech. So please keep doing what you do. In terms of how we view technology in the region, I would just encourage us to think a little more broadly beyond economic growth and think a little more critically about what growth and development mean at a time of our climate crisis. So when we think about cloud storage, think about how much computing models 
take in terms of energy consumption. Think about how data centers displace local communities and indigenous populations. And just think about what kind of development we want in a changing world. Do we want the same models of development or do we want to reframe growth? You know, there is a whole school of economic thought now on degrowth, not entirely novel, but something that we might need to reflect on when we think about technology and how it can help better our lives. Thanks so much for that, uh, Elena. As you were uh, talking about degrowth, what came to mind was that uh, book, Small is Beautiful. I think I'm going to review that once more. And is think that a about new book, Amina? No, that came out like uh, over 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. Talking <laughs> about, uh, about development for island communities where okay. you really have no access to, to grids. So small development strategies. Uh, I should look that up uh, once again. So thanks so much, uh, Elena, for joining us and uh, educating us a little bit more about how we shouldn't be so scared about China and spying and and TikTok. And uh, if ever I overcome my phobia for technology, maybe I'll take uh, IS up and start using TikTok and do some crazy dance moves. You could be an influencer, Amina. Please do it. We have no you talent to for all dancing. We have no talent for dancing. Amina? That's true. No talent whatsoever. For the both of us, no talent. That's never stopped anyone. That's true. Okay. So. Well, thank you so much, Amina, for taking your time and you know joining us. It's really a, a wonderful conversation we had today. You know, I think it's like chop suey. You know, we have this Philippine dish where you have all these sorts of different types of vegetables. So it's chop suey, right. but it's, you know, definitely interesting. And, and this is exactly how we want our talks piece. It's really a conversation among women about all the serious work that we all do. At the same time, you know, our daily lives, you know, how we find happiness every day. Yeah, so we wish you yeah. well in your work there in the U.S. And I know you keep coming back to Southeast Asia and to Malaysia. So you are always welcome also to come back and uh, to join us again for She Talks Peace whenever you are, uh, when you are, where you are free. So Amina. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alina. It's been such a privilege talking to you both. Please keep educating me and everyone else. Thank you so much, Alina. And to our Dear listeners, you heard uh, Elena Noor educating us. Uh, tune in for the next episode of uh, She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying bye for now from Manila. <laughs> yes, uh? Okay, and uh, before I bid goodbye, uh, please remember if you would like to give us some suggestions, comments, or feedbacks, you can actually email us at sheetalkspeace at gmail.com. So again, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Amina. Thank you, Elina. Have a nice day. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co.
The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.